0: Good morning. If you don't know me, I'm Billy. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. And uh, we are jumping right back into Matthew chapter 13. This is our second week in a row. We're talking about these parables that Jesus is sharing with his disciples and with us, found here um, in relation to the kingdom of God, what he calls the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version. Matthew chapter 13. Starting in verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant selling fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold it, or excuse me, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you now for this time, God, this time where we can submit our hearts to your word. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher, to instruct us, to be the one who leads us through the scripture, who exposes truth to us, and who also stirs within our heart to respond, God. We want to respond to your scripture. We want, we want to be alive, to be found alive in your living word, and so we pray, God, that your scripture would have an effect upon our hearts and our lives today, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value. Um, Jesus has been sharing parables to help us understand some different aspects about his kingdom. We've, we've gone through several of them now, and there are a few things that we know as we've been looking at his kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, from different, different facets of a jewel almost. We know that his kingdom is the earth. Uh, he, he describes his kingdom as being the whole earth. Uh, we know that Jesus is planting seed, that the king is, is planting seed, but not all of the ground is fertile. Not all of the ground is available to produce a crop. We know that about the kingdom. We also know that as the king is planting wheat, as one of the crops that's identified, he's planting wheat, there's an enemy of the king who comes in and plants weeds right over the top of that. We also know, in addition to that, we know that the king is very patient with these weeds, that he perhaps is hoping to supernaturally change some of these weeds into wheat. We also see in, through these parables that in this kingdom that weakness and meekness are valuable. They're, they're actually assets for us as members of this kingdom because in our weakness he is made strong. And finally, what's demonstrated through the parables that we've looked at thus far, we know that Jesus has a plan, that the king has a plan. The kingdom is going somewhere. And uh, one of the ways we see that through these parables is he says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, it's like yeast being put into these three lumps of bread dough. And it infects the whole dough. He says, That's the strategy, that's how it's going to work. I've got a plan to affect the whole kingdom so today we see that there's something of extraordinary value in this kingdom. Everything we've, we've learned so far from Jesus that we've seen through these parables, in addition to that, we see this valuable treasure, this pearl of immense value. And there's an aspect of this kingdom that's more valuable than anything else on earth. And we see two guys go all in for this treasure. It's not necessarily a good investment strategy to put all of your financial eggs in one basket. But here's two men that literally sell everything they have to get this treasure that they've discovered. The treasure is that valuable to them. And I think in that, right off the top, we can see, because we all have experienced this and we all see this in life, that when we love something or when we have a passion for something in life, we're willing to... To sacrifice to attain it. And so um, I experience, you know, we experience this all in daily life, but I remember even when in college, you know, I worked, had a job, and took classes all at the same time. And so for me to go to a concert was a big deal. I had to save money. And, and, you know, if you had to wait in line back in those days, you physically had to go wait in line for, you know, for concert tickets. It was like a big deal. But in my sphere of friends, there were also people that didn't work, and they were always like mooching off of me, you know, like the, the sponge friends that you have, you know. But certain concerts were so important to us that even those guys would find the money somehow, and sit in line and make this big investment to go. And so wherever we are in life, I think this is a a common experience. This is a a common thing that that God has wired us for. We see something of tremendous value, and, and we respond in sacrifice. In this parable, I believe, Jesus is calling each of us, to consider this treasure, consider the value of this treasure. And so at first here, we're going to go through four main points, kind of four main arguments that should stir each of us to find this value, to discover value in the treasure. The first thing we got to see here is that the essence of the kingdom, like the, the essence, the definition of the kingdom, it's defined by the king. The king is the essence of the kingdom. And so in this parable, we see that Jesus is the treasure. He's the pearl of infinite value. Now, the fact that the essence of a kingdom is the king, it's not just because this is the Bible story and it needs to work out that way. That's the way it is in the world, too. Even in colonial America, if you were to talk to a loyalist, someone who was loyal to the crown, everything would be done in the name of King George, right? Right? He set the tone of that kingdom. He set the tone of the regulations and the way that they were enforced. It's the same with every kingdom. The king sets that tone. In this case, Jesus is the king. Therefore, Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is this pearl of infinite value. And Jesus' tone, the tone of his kingdom that he's laid out so far, is patience. Jesus is a patient king. We've seen that Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of grace, it's a kingdom of mercy. It's a kingdom of love. And the king has described his kingdom, and it's a kingdom where sinners and rebels, Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom where people like me, in other words, sinners and rebels, people that are hopelessly lost in our selfishness, in my pride, this is a kingdom where I found grace. It's important for us to realize the nature of this kingdom. The treasure is that I finally got to meet the king. And I've never been the same since. See, that's the nature of this kingdom. That's the nature of this king. See, the weeds in this kingdom, like me, I was a weed in the kingdom. Growing up in the church as a weed became wheat. That's the beauty of this kingdom. The weeds in the kingdom become wheat. The weakness is no longer a liability. Now in my life, As a man growing in the Lord, as a man growing in the kingdom, my weakness is a tremendous strength because in my weakness, the king is made stronger. So King Jesus is the treasure in these two parables. Like me, these men, the man that's out in the field and he finds treasure, and the man who's looking for pearls and finds this one pearl, it's that one, he knows what to look for, and he's like, whoa, there's that one pearl. Those two guys discovering that treasure That's just like us, those of us that have discovered the treasure of knowing Jesus. They found King Jesus. And our hearts and our minds need to remember the attributes and the value of Christ. I think sometimes we... we, uh, we get busy in life or distracted, and we forget why Jesus is so valuable. And so this morning, I just quickly want to run through uh, some characteristics of Jesus that I think we'll find encouraging, that, that will remind us of why, perhaps, we should be placing such a high value on Jesus. So here's how Jesus is our treasure. First of all, the Bible tells us that Jesus is holy. Holy. That right now the angels in heaven are worshiping him. He's sitting on a throne, a place of authority, being worshiped right now. He's holy. Jesus is merciful. He's loving. He's kind. This is the king of the kingdom in which we live, and he's kind and merciful. It's amazing. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is in control of every circumstance, every detail of the universe right now. There's no moment of suffering that goes unnoticed by him. There's not a single sparrow that falls that he's not aware of. So he's sovereign. But Jesus is also good. He's able to work everything out for good. He takes evil and he works it for good. So not only is he sovereign, but he's good. And consider this, in this place of weakness, I can see Satan at the foot of the cross just rejoicing over what happened to Jesus. Remember that the beatings, the insults, just the beard being ripped from his face, the torture that Jesus endured. I could see that being like Satan doing this big victory dance. And then Jesus, as he's hanging up there naked, just shamefully displayed, having been brutalized, gasping for breath. In that moment of weakness, Jesus saves the entire world. Jesus lays claim to his kingdom in that moment. See, he takes weak moments, perhaps the weakest moment, the most evil moment, the most sinister moment in all of history. And you see, how he has the authority to turn it and turn it into this amazing, powerful victory. The cross is a place of victory, it is not a place of shame. Jesus is sovereign and he's good. Jesus is our refuge, he's our safe place. When the whole world shakes around us, Jesus doesn't shake, right? We can, we can run to him. We can cling to him. Jesus is the peace in the storms of life. Remember Jesus in the boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Crazy storm raging. Small boat. Disciples freaking out. Jesus sleeping, right? The storms of life don't affect him. He's like, he wakes up and he's like, what? Eh. Storm still. Back to sleep. Like, it's like, what? This is just a storm. That's our king. The storms of life don't affect him. He doesn't grow tired. Jesus is available. He's present. The Bible says even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear evil because our good shepherd is with us, right? He protects us. He leads us. The essence of Jesus' kingdom is Jesus himself. The second thing that we see in this parable is that Jesus is to be treasured. Jesus is to be treasured. So we're talking about treasure being discovered in a field. Okay, that's a noun, right? The word treasure. I'm talking now about the verb treasured. Like we're now, in light of this treasure that we discover, we're now to treasure Jesus is what the Bible teaches. To treasure something means we take what we know about it, right? We see truth like, okay, that, that's worthy of treasuring. And then we respond to it in our heart. It's not sufficient to simply agree with the amazing things that we just said about Jesus. I, I mean, I, I know that we, most of us will agree about those things that we just said about Jesus. But to treasure that, we must love those truths in our heart. We must say that this is the most important, the most valuable treasure that I have access to on earth. Jesus is more valuable. An example of this is our relationships. We don't treasure all of our relationships the same way, right? I treasure my relationship with my wife, and I treasure my relationship with my children in a way that is unique, okay? I'm not as available to other people, even close friends, as I am to my wife and as I am to my kids. It's just different, but I remember as a, you know, a, a super smart 19-year-old in college taking a, a Social work class, or something like that. And there was this whole book on parenting that we read. And I could just imagine the me now, the 44 year old me, bumping into this, like, you know, super smart, know it all 19 year old me and, like, learning about parenting from this 19 year old idiot that just read about it in a textbook, right? Be like, oh, yeah, that seems really sacrificial. I'd just be like, whatever. You know, you have no idea. Having a child and experiencing the love and the bond and the commitment. Tasting and savoring the like sweet agony of defeat and victory, you know, and child rearing. It's like th- there's a connection there. We treasure our children, we, we treasure our spouse, don't we? And Jesus says, I am to be treasured. He says these words in Mark chapter 11, verse 20. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And with all your strength. If there's any doubt in your mind about the fact that Jesus says treasure me, look at this verse. Look at how we're to to honor Him. Look at how we're to love the Lord. We don't simply agree intellectually with our mind. The men in our parable today they sell everything they have, everything they have, to get this treasure. And I believe once we taste and see the goodness of Jesus, we too make sacrifices. We treasure something when we sacrifice for it. I I remember when the iPhone first came out and then it's, you know, the subsequent updates and the iPad was the same way, you know, watching the news and seeing just the lines of people in the mall, you know. That's like people that were super stoked that that came out. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but they, they certainly treasured those things a lot more than I did, you know. We we go to to great lengths to demonstrate where our heart lies and where our interests lie, where our passions lie in this life. And when we look at radical Christians or Christians of old, people that go into unreached people groups, people that that approached the the never-been-approached mainland China with the gospel, biography after biography, when we read these stories, or we look at the lives of people now that are pressing deep into, into uncharted territories, territories where the gospel is not multiplying uh, by itself and in, in, in the indigenous people groups, every single time, I guarantee you will always find at the heart of that story a man or a woman or a couple who is treasuring Jesus. Jesus is their treasure. And sometimes in our Christian culture, we, we wonder about this lack of unction that seems to be around. That It's like, man, why doesn't God move like that now? Why isn't God pressing into those places? Why does it seem stagnant sometimes? And I believe it's because kingdom world changers are people who value eternity with Jesus more than they value this short life now. And so many, so many people, so many Christians have exchanged a few years of gaining the world here and it's kept them from following Jesus. Jim Elliott, uh, the young missionary who died in Ecuador reaching an unreached people group. I was actually killed by the people group he went to reach. Um, he said this, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so in light of those words, and the testimony and the, and the amazing story of, of Jim Elliott and his life. And so I was looking at that again this last week. Man, the Lord really convicted me. I've been asking myself, what am I willing to give up in order to follow Jesus? What is keeping me from treasuring Jesus? From allowing the value of that treasure to give me that heart to lay things down. Remember Moses. He got to the point in his life where he refused to be identified as the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh. He didn't want to be Pharaoh's grandpa anymore, right? He chose, rather, he chose to be mistreated and and assigned, socially assigned, with the people of God. He chose that rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of of the power and the finances and, and everything else that would have gone along with being Pharaoh's grandson. And I believe similarly here, when we find Jesus and we discover the value of Jesus, when we unearth this treasure and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I believe we too are willing to be mistreated along with the people of God. We're willing to surrender reputation, willing to surrender comfort. Jesus is to be treasured. The third thing I would argue from this parable is we need to change allegiance in our heart. And this is something that, that happens when we first see this treasure. But I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, enough with you guys, to say that even as a Christian who's growing in the Lord, I find myself having to check my allegiance and change my allegiance, like, almost daily even. Like, questioning, like, wait, who, who am I following right now? Where's my treasure right now? In Luke, Jesus says to this rich young man who... This guy came up and asked Jesus, you know, how can I follow you? How how can I be your disciple? Jesus basically said, renounce everything you have. He's like, whoever doesn't do that can't, can't be my, you can't follow me unless you're willing to turn from what you have. Get rid of everything you have. See, there's not a single treasure that comes before Jesus. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the blessings of life. God created the blessings of life. Every good thing comes from God. It means that nothing is to come before Jesus. And so when we treasure Jesus, when God tells us to lay something down, we look upon our treasure, our true treasure, Jesus, we see the value in that treasure, and we gladly lay anything down. And so I've been asking myself, am I willing to put Jesus before any other relationships in life? Do we put Jesus first in our lives? You know, I just heard this, uh, it was told in a very funny way to me this last week, um, but that there's this little worship center, this little throne in, in each of our hearts. And, you know, the more I thought about it, the more it's really true. There's like one seat. There's one place of authority in our heart. And different things sit on that. You know, usually it's myself and my heart, but everyone's different. But That's the place that's reserved for Jesus. And in this little worship center, there's one thing that gets to be above all. And that can change throughout the day, right, as our needs change or our perspectives change. And what we treasure and what we're following and what we're assigning this value to, what we're willing to make sacrifices for, changes depending on what's on this little throne, Jesus said that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve Jesus and something else. And I I can testify that that is 100% true in my life. I can't serve Jesus and my own whatever, best ideas, my own opinions, money, possessions. I I can't serve both of those things. They, They compete with one another. Jesus is to be what we love, what we value, and what we pursue most. Jesus must be much much more valuable than other things. Otherwise, we're not going to make that sacrifice. If he's, if he's not seen as worth it, we're not going to truly make sacrifices. So I would argue that we need to change our allegiance and we need to put Jesus on the throne of our hearts. He's the, he's the only one, the only object, the only thing that deserves that place. The fourth thing I would argue from our parables today is that there, there's an investment to be made. There's an investment to be made. Both of these men had to purchase the treasure one of them went and sold everything they had to buy this treasure he found on the ground. The other one did the same kind of thing for this pearl that he found. Look at what it says in verse 44, though. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found. Okay, the man found, and then he hides it again. And then here's the important part. It says, And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. From joy over it, isn't that incredible? This man sells everything. Everything. He sells everything. I know you guys just read it, but I'm saying it. For, but he, Think about that. He sells everything. Why? Why did he do it? From the joy that he had over discovering this unspeakably valuable treasure. This guy wasn't missing out on life by selling his stuff, right? He wasn't just being an idiot, being some religious zealot. This man had found something that was so valuable that he was willing to trade everything else he had in order to get it. See, this isn't irrational behavior. This is very rational. This is kingdom logic to value eternity more than a few few short fleeting years here on earth. To be able to see Jesus and see the value of knowing Jesus and the value of eternally knowing Jesus, that has to be what we see when we pit it up against the other things in life. See, it's rational to put your hope in something eternal that doesn't weather, that's not going to get taken away, it's not going to get pried out of our hands when we died. It's irrational to hold on to temporary, short-lived things on earth, to assign those that place of worship in our hearts. It's irrational to do that. And see, I believe where the disconnect happens is that oftentimes Jesus just isn't seen as the treasure. And some of the possessions or relationships or places of power, they're seen as as better treasures sometimes. And we don't know if we can give those treasures up for Jesus. I, I think we've all been there. We've all felt that tension. And maybe Jesus just isn't that good in some of our hearts sometimes. He's just not treasured. In some of our hearts, we have a tough time letting go of sin or letting go of our stuff right? And we know we shouldn't sin. We, we all know that. We know we shouldn't hold on to stuff in that way. But, but we do. <laughs> we find ourselves wrestling with that. At some level, we like our sin. At some level, we really like our stuff. At some level, we really like the security of, of knowing that we're safe and secure financially or otherwise here on earth. We, we like that. And please don't be discouraged. I'm definitely not preaching down to you guys or preaching to you guys in this. This is as much a personal confession as anything. I struggle with this. I recognize this is a real thing. Don't be discouraged. We all fall into this kind of thinking. The Bible says that we view God, we view this kingdom relationship with God right now. We view it like a dim image through dull glass. We don't get to see it that clearly. Our sin nature and the nature of the world around us, we just don't see it that clearly, especially when you compare it to how clearly, crystal clearly, we can see the treasures of this earth. We see the houses and the cars, money and opportunity. We can touch those things, right? We can, th- those are right in front of us. Those are way more clear. We can experience them now. And so it can be a real struggle, It really is. It can be a real struggle to see Jesus as better than these clear, immediate treasures in life. Can it? Am I the only one that struggles with that? That's a real thing. But, and here's what's so cool about these parables. It's so cool about the way Jesus talks about his kingdom. Jesus calls us to this kingdom. He calls us to true joy. See, the difference here with this sacrifice is there's joy involved. The answer is not joyless sacrifice. If you have some other treasures in life, the answer isn't to give them up and then just hate your life, right? And then gripe about it. Or the answer is certainly not to give stuff up and then brag about it. Oh, I gave that up. Oh, well, you haven't given that up? You should give it I gave it up. You didn't, you didn't burn your record. Cl- I burned my record collection. I, you, you didn't do, you know, it's like there's no joy in that. that what is that? Joyless obedience doesn't honor Jesus. That's called religious hypocrisy. Joyless obedience does not solve our heart problems. See, the problem's a worship problem. The problem's a treasure problem, right? The problem is inside our heart, what we're assigning value to. It doesn't have to do with our performance. It has to do with our heart. We've We've got a serious heart condition. If I give away everything, If I literally, just like these guys, if I sold everything, got rid of everything, but I don't have love, the Bible says that I've achieved nothing. The answer is not to just buck up and give away your stuff. That's not what Jesus is saying. That is joyless religion. That won't make people love Jesus or see Jesus. In fact, it'll probably do the opposite. The answer is to treasure Jesus. The answer is to discover the value of Jesus. Go look at Jesus and value him and believe his promises. Because when we behold the value of knowing Jesus, then the value of lesser things lose their grip in our heart. The value of being right, even. Something as subtle as that. And I'm totally willing to confess that to you guys. That's a real struggle I have. I want to be right. That's not as valuable as the treasure I have in Jesus. And I need to let that go. But I can't let that go Unless I treasure Jesus. You understand? I can't. I've tried. For decades, I've tried to let that go. I've tried harder. I went to camps growing up where they say, you've got the Holy Spirit, and God's given you everything. You just do it. Try harder, right? And you feel guilty, and then you feel all empowered, and then you feel self-righteous, and then you find yourself in the same spot a week later. What happened? I thought God gave me power. It must be me. I'm a bad Christian. Bad performer, bad performing Christian, See, the answer is to treasure Jesus. Look at Jesus. Value him. Believe in his promises. Because when we struggle with sin that we can't beat, when we struggle with pride or envy and we can't seem to shake it, those are real things. When we struggle with selfishness or materialism or whatever, the answer is not, hey, just stop it. Just don't do it anymore. Try harder. The answer is to treasure Jesus. Pursue him. Love him. This is why Jesus must be treasured. Otherwise, we won't let go of the other things we value unless we let Jesus be the treasure in our heart. We let Jesus take that seat in our worship center, that one throne. Jesus has to be there or your performance will not change. I continued in a pattern of changing my performance, a pattern of self-righteousness, based on things I knew up here without fixing my heart, and my performance got worse over a long period of time. Jesus has to be better. He has to be better than our sin. He has to be better than our relationships. Jesus has to be better. We have to know that he's better than our wealth. He's better than comfort and security and possessions. Because if we don't deal with the worship issue in our heart, we will never deal with the sin issue in our life. If we don't deal with the worship issue in our heart, we'll not We'll never be able to deal with the relationship issues we have everywhere in life. It's so the kingdom of God is like a treasure. Have you discovered that treasure yet? You've probably discovered the truth. You probably know the truth. Like, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I, I knew a lot of truth. I knew a lot of Bible verses. I knew a lot about this treasure. But have you been moved with joy to get all of this treasure you possibly can? Are you like these guys that are like, I'm going to get rid of whatever is keeping me from this treasure? The guy that found the treasure in the field, he's like, what's keeping me from this treasure? Well, everything I own because I need, to, I need money and that's the only way I can get money to get that treasure. And so in that guy's case, it was money, right? And in, in, in your case, it might be something else. What is keeping us from valuing Jesus, from not just knowing Jesus? but to dealing with the worship issue, the heart issue that we have. Have you been moved with joy? Have you looked with joy at Jesus as your treasure? Because once we know this joy, once we enjoy Jesus, once we treasure Jesus appropriately, then our investment in that treasure is no longer joyless sacrifice. We're able to endure hardships. Sacrifice is not fun. Right? After first service, I, I got to meet with and pray with a mom who's like, you know, Billy, that was so good. I'm so thankful that you reminded me of that. But there's this one thing that I do. It happens to be homeschooling, so I, have, <laughs> I, I feel her pain. And she's like, and I, I just don't feel the joy in that. And it's like, you know, we're not always going to feel the joy in the sacrifice itself, are we? Jesus models this Beautifully, in, he- in the book of Hebrews, where it says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame. The cross was still a shameful place. Jesus, the night before, sweating blood. I don't even know what that means, but it's crazy, right? Didn't want to do it, in other words, right? It was like, God, is there any other way? But he did it. There was joy. What he was doing was looking through the experience of the cross, acknowledging that it's a place of shame. But there was a joy there. That joy is the same kingdom he's talking about here. That joy is establishing a worship center in the hearts of his creation. It is that joy that enables us to look through hardships, to look through loss, to look through death, to look through the sacrifice of finances, to look through the sacrifice sometimes of career, to look through the sacrifice of maybe not growing up in the the best neighborhood or in the country even that you want to. It's that joy. You have to be able to look through that sacrifice and see the joy, see Jesus, see he has to be our treasure. He has to be better, doesn't he? The fifth thing I would argue from these parables is that Jesus is a hidden treasure. He's not just laying on the surface for everyone to value. My life, there were just years where Jesus didn't seem better. And honestly, time, I, I still can struggle with that. Well, I have to remember, wait, no, Jesus is better than this. See, we're looking at, at life and we're looking at God through this dim mirror and there are times Jesus might feel far away. I've been through spiritual deserts. Uh, they're, they're horrible. They're tough. So I just want to, right now I'm going to throw out five really practical ways that we can apply these truths to our life. Here's how we can search for Jesus as our treasure. So I'm telling you, that spiritual deserts a real place. First thing is be with him. If you have a phone, just write these down. Don't forget, you're going to forget this. Don't forget this. First, be with him. Spend time with him. Sit at his feet. Read his word. See, yesterday's mercies are going to seem so far away when you're living today. Like tomorrow, you're going to be like, hey, God was doing that cool thing in my heart. Man, I wish I had that connection to, to whatever he was doing. I, I wish I could just kind of pick that up. See, we need to open this book, and we need to sit with Jesus. We need to allow this to be our, our spiritual food, our, our water that we drink when we're in the desert. We need to trust the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119, verse 18. The psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. You might be in the desert and you might feel blinded to the wonderful things in God's law. You open the word and you pray prayers like this. God, open my eyes. Let me see you. Let me know you. Let me treasure you. Look at Psalm 86, verse 11. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Look at him. He's confessing that he has a divided heart right there. Because we do. Psalm 119 verse 156 says, Revive me according to your ordinances. Revive me. These are, what a valuable prayer. Fill me up. Restore me. The second practical thing that I believe you you should write down is you got to just trust him. You have to trust God in the seasons of dryness. Trust his word rather than, and this is what happens in my life, and it might be different for you, but rather than trusting his word, I tend to trust my emotions. Emotions aren't to be trusted. Jesus went through a desert season, right? Quite literally, 40 days in the desert. Nasty experience, I'm sure. He didn't rely on his emotions When he was confronted with these temptations, which as he was fully man and fully God, These things that Satan tempted him with would have been real temptations in that moment. What did Jesus do? He spoke from the word of God. He spoke from the same source of truth that we have. Trust God. Listen to how David responds. Just trusting God. He's so dry. He's so shattered. He's so broken. He's so stinking guilty in this moment. It's like delicious awkwardness here in Psalm 51. He's just so busted. Listen to this prayer. He prays these words. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. How beautiful is that prayer? Man, take a picture of that or whatever. If you find yourself needing to pray that, go to Psalm 51, verse 10, and pray that to God. Pray for Jesus to give you joy and thankfulness, kindness. Pray for Jesus to give you a gentle spirit. Pray for him to help you obey him. These are prayers that the saints have prayed since the beginning of the church. Third thing you need to write down, searching for Jesus is our treasure. Man, we have to turn from lesser things. The Bible calls that repentance. We've got to turn from sin. We've got to turn from other treasures. And here, here, here's the tricky part of that. In my life, in my experience, some of those other treasures that I have to turn from, in fact, m- much of the time now, are really good things in my life. Because I take really good things, blessings from God, and I put them on the worship seat. I'm talking about good stuff. I'm talking about my children looking out for my kids and my family. That's good and right, right? Remember, I do treasure them. It's a very special relationship. But they're not more important than Jesus. I have to treasure Jesus more than my kids. Otherwise, my kids won't see Jesus as a treasure, right? How are my kids going to see Jesus as a treasure if they're more important than Jesus is? That's not, never going to make sense to them. I find so often that I need to confess this stuff and just get right every week. In fact, that's why we have these carpets out here in the front of the sanctuary. Every single week we do a second set of worship. And this is like the surgical suite of the church right here. Okay? It is. It's like the operating table. Okay, just picture this. Cocky me without Christ would walk into the cardiologist and just be like, Something's wrong in my heart, Doc, here. Just fix it right now. You know, standing up all just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define the terms of the treatment that you give me, right? Any cardiologist that's worth his weight in anything is going to say, you need to just shut your mouth, lay on this table. I'm going to put you out so you no longer speak. And then I'm going to cut your chest open, <laughs> right? And I'm going to use my experience and the knowledge I have to fix your heart. See, those are the same terms that we come to God on right? We have this tendency to just come in and be like, I'm not going to get on my knees. That's dumb. No one gets on there. Who does that? That's this ancient thing. No, getting on our knees puts us in the right place. Just like getting on our back puts us in the right place for physical heart surgery. Getting on our knees puts us in the right place for spiritual heart surgery. We put ourselves before God. This is the appropriate position. You're the physician. God, you define the terms of this. We lay ourselves out on the surgery table before God who created us. We allow him to do the procedure. We don't define the terms of, of the procedure. Jesus is going to say, treasure me. Taste and see that I am good. Real and true healing happens in our heart when we repent of our sin and our dividedness, when we turn from that. Remember the cross. That's the first thing I'd have you write down. Man, you want to know how to treasure Jesus? Remember the cross. In times of dryness, remember the cross. You want help? You're having trouble valuing Jesus above the stuff in life? Like if you're really struggling with that right now, you're like, man, I've just gone through a long season of not really valuing Jesus. All this other stuff, these other worries, these other things I got going on, my family, all this good stuff has become more important than Jesus. I'm going to step out on a limb because I don't know every, everyone in here or everyone's circumstance, but I'll bet you, I'll bet you that you haven't been meditating on the cross of Christ. Because it's it's so good for us to remember that Jesus, Jesus laid everything down to save us. That should get our attention, that God stepped out of heaven, and he meets us right where the only place where we could be met. We, we couldn't be met in a good place. It's like if you want to go help a drug addict, you have to drive to some crappy part of town and meet them, Right? That's where they live. That's where they operate. That's where they do their thing. That's where Jesus steps out of heaven and he goes to the bad part of town. And that's where he found me. See, when I meditate on the cross and then I consider the sacrifice he made, I I consider the burden and the weight and the punishment of my sin that he bore on my behalf. It puts my heart in a better place. It, It helps me treasure Jesus. I need to remember it's not about how well I obey God. It's not about how, how well I do at getting right with God. It's not about how good a Christian I am. What's important for me to remember is that God came to save complete failures. God came from heaven to save one type of person, and that was a complete failure. I fit solidly in that category. God saved me because he loves me. God saved me because I needed saving. God saved me because I could not save myself. And I need to remember that the main thing in my relationship with God is not what I do, it is what Jesus has already done on the cross. God is the hero of the story. Remember the first beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount Blessed are the poor in spirit. Guys, we have to remember that, that that's me. <laughs> We're the poor in spirit. We can't pull this life off on our own. We need Jesus. If we don't see ourselves as the poor in spirit, we will never value Jesus as our treasure. So when I'm in the desert, and when you find yourself in the desert, remember that Jesus died for you. He knew he'd find you in the desert, right? He, he knew, he knew that's, that's where you find people like us, is in the desert apart from him. Listen, today in your desert, Jesus is pursuing you. In our sin, Jesus is pursuing you. In my weakness, in your weakness, Jesus is pursuing you. In your rebellion, in your selfishness, in your anger, in your bad behavior, Jesus is pursuing you. It's good for us to remember the cross, guys. And the last thing, write this down, and we're about to do it in just a second, is worship. Worship the Lord your God, With all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, because worship stirs our affection for Jesus. Man, I can't even tell you how many times I've come to church wanting someone to help me, just wanting prayer, or wanting to tell my story, or wanting just just like coming to church as just a needy person. And that as soon as the music starts, and I see the lyrics, these Christ exalting lyrics on the screen. The Holy Spirit's just like, no, it's not about you, Billy. We're going to exalt Jesus right now. I, I'm not honest enough to tell you how often that's happened. See, we come here to worship Jesus so that we can be made whole, right? It's not like we get to choose the terms of that. Like, oh, you know, I got I to, gotta, like, feel better about myself, and then I'm going to be better able to worship Jesus, right? That's not how it works, now, for sure, there's a time to bring your burdens to one another. Absolutely. Bringing your burdens into the presence of God. Yes, that's why we have the prayer team and all that. My point is there's also a time to lift our eyes off of ourselves and off of our life and to look at Jesus. We need to behold Jesus in his glory more often because there's just something that happens in our soul when we lift our eyes, we lift our hearts off of circumstances and opportunities, off of relational failures or disagreements. We take our eyes off of the world around us and we put them on to Jesus in worship. See, in worship, Jesus becomes our treasure again. Jesus is actually worthy of worship. The the, the more we worship Jesus, the more we discover and rediscover that he is indeed worthy of worship. And so today... Let's worship Jesus, the one who deserves our worship. And we're going to start and we're going to sing this old song. It's a song I learned as a kid, and it really didn't mean anything to me then, probably, but it does now. It's like one of my favorite. I meditate on this, this truth that's in here. It's just, it's just revealed itself to be true to me so many times. It's written by a, a woman in the 1920s. The words are real simple. It starts, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I love that. It's just that reminder, like, Stop looking at your phone. Stop looking at, in your mind's eyes. Stop thinking about what's next. Stop thinking about that opportunity. Stop thinking about that disappointment or that hurt or that offense. Put your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, complete undivided attention. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so this morning as we worship, let's allow Jesus to be front and center, that we would do this. We would like Pull Jesus in so close that everything else just kind of melts away or falls away or becomes out of focus, out in our peripheral vision. And in that moment, we offer up this prayer: we say, "Jesus, you are better than. Allow the Holy Spirit to stir up in your heart. You're better than this thing I'm worried about. You're, you're better than this security that I'm obsessed. You're better than my pride. You're better than me." winning an argument. You're better than me having the sense of healing and wholeness. You're better than that. I trust you. Let's allow God to move within our hearts that we would offer him a sacrifice of praise, sacrificing like these men sold everything they had to get that treasure. Let's allow God to do that work in our hearts today that we would value Jesus above everything else, that we would invest by making a sacrifice of praise. Jesus is our treasure. Amen? Father God, we thank you that we can know you. <laughs> I'm so glad, God, that we can know truth, and that we can have hope. This world, is so scary how quickly we can turn from you. We find ourselves reasoning with worldly wisdom and worldly logic. And Today, God, we just want to lay everything else down, the, the lesser things we want to lay at your feet. Help us, God, to see Jesus. To behold Him, help us, God, to treasure Jesus. Move in us now, Holy Spirit, to exalt Jesus above everything else, God. That You would restructure the worship centers in our heart. Let's just say we love You, God. We don't. We don't do this very well, individually. We don't do it well at all. And so, in light of that, we say, "Thank You for the cross. Thank You for Jesus." We offer ourselves to you in worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.